Welcome to the Performance Health Podcast. My name is Tim Karen. Today we're going to go through principles of the cardiovascular system. We're going to dive into the components, the hearts, the lungs, the capillary system, the arterial system, the venous system, blood, and seeing how it all interacts and manages this powerful thing called balance. So I hope you guys enjoy this. We're going to tie it into some other things that we've been discussing between other systems and nutrition. It makes a big difference in terms of getting on that module, seeing the, gra the graphics and the visuals to help with that learning. It'll definitely make a lot of sense once you actually see the physical representation of that. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Also, make sure you're staying tuned. Got book release notes coming up. We got pre-orders coming available. Strength deficit coming late spring. Really fired up with it. The editors are making all the revisions now, so we should have that available for pre-order very soon, if not already. So appreciate you guys. Make sure you guys are checking out all our social to stay up to date on that and our newsletter because we do have a weekly update on strength deficit, some exercises, some protocols, some methods that we use within that. So I hope you guys enjoy. See you guys on the other side. All right, so we're going to go into a big system, and I think this is a system that probably gets downplayed within the athletic world, but I think that's a mistake. We're going to talk about the cardiovascular system. And one of the things that probably gets the lion's share of attention in regards to the cardiovascular system is adult, gen pop, male, anywhere above 40 years old. I think that's a mistake. I think this is a huge, huge aspect of performance training. I think it's a huge aspect of things like body composition. I think it's a huge aspect of anaerobic capacity. But in time, we have to understand the tenets of that to see the value of this. And I think we could jump to a couple of different things that maybe give this a negative stigmatism of it's not a problem until it's a problem. And the only people who really have to worry about the cardiovascular disease are people who have a risk for cardiovascular disease. Uh, I'd also come back to and say, like, when we look at these big rate limiting factors with performance training, right? What is the density of a high anaerobic input we can get within a 60 minute training session is predicated not on our anaerobic ability, but our oxidative function. So if we can understand the cardiovascular system and the principles is going to be really diving into hopefully the tenets of this and giving a framework to understand the cardiovascular system in a lot higher level. And we can kind of dive into the practical of what we're looking at on a daily, weekly, monthly, and annual basis in developing the cardiovascular system. And think about this too, relatively speaking to the other systems we've gone into or we're going to go into. You know, I think about this in terms of what I do as a strength conditioning coach, performance coach, someone who's trying to help someone, is there's four big systems in regards to nutrition that I need to have a really good understanding of. First and foremost would be the nervous system. Gone through that. Gone through the difference between the parasympathetic and sympathetic. Then we go into the endocrine system and this interchange between anabolic and catabolic hormones and the ability to build or break down. Then we go through immune system. If my immune system can't function... I can't recover, or we're always going to go to whatever the pathology is going to have to be needed to be fixed first. And that makes sense, right? From the context of if my body is in a diseased state or in an immunocompromised state, that has to prioritize that before I start to build muscle or burn fat or get a better or more robust nervous system. And then finally, the cardiovascular system. And one's not more important than the other. They're all interchangeable in terms of what we need them to do on any given day. 
And what you'll see is the parallels between all four is there's going to be a yin and yang or duality aspect. And this is why we started off with duality in regards to understanding nutrition, that this positive, negative, black, white, yin and yang, up or down, whatever way you want to phrase it or understand it or frame it, it's going to be the, the underlying tenant that we have two counteracting systems within the system that allow the body to function in a really, really high level. And what we're going to go through here is just that interchange in this one of the arterial system versus the venous system, the left and right ventricles versus the right and left atriums. We can look at it from oxygen and carbon dioxide. We can look at it from just the idea of there is going to be a dual aspect to this. And all the testing really looks at that at a pretty high level. And, and one of the things you need to do with the testing is not cherry pick certain data points or things that make this more digestible. The reductionist based approach, which you've gone through in coaching and modeling and looking through this is the first way we're going to learn this. And that's essentially what we're going to do through this principles part. But on the other end, it goes into this other concept of understanding that we need to have an appreciation for both ends of the spectrum. So I'm going to break this down a little bit more. I'm going to go into a little bit more detail, but the hope is that you're thinking about this in a larger, more integrated function of, okay, I have four big systems in terms of health and nutrition. Each one of those systems has pretty much two subsystems that are going to be more pro and more negative or positive and negative. And both of these have to interchange in some way, shape or form to help us function on a high level. And that's when we get too myopically addressed in one area is there starts to be problems emerge. So the primary function of the cardiovascular system is to deliver oxygen to the peripheral tissues and then take carbon dioxide away, carbon dioxide away right? So at the basics, most fundamental level, the cardiovascular system, when it's its individual components between the lungs, the heart, the arteries, the capillaries, and the veins, are primarily trying to move oxygen-rich blood and carbon dioxide away from the from the tissues that need it, whether it's organs functioning to create hormones or break down foods or create action potentials, whether it's muscles looking to contract or, or uh, relax, it's all the same. We need oxygen-rich blood to go to these areas that are making our body function and then we need carbon dioxide to be removed from the same and there's other components of what these things represent but the other thing is we need to think about is if we can't deliver oxygen how do we die how do we assess that and if we can't remove co2 how do we assess that which i think will help in terms of understanding these in more individual parts and if you don't have access to the module um i just recommend Googling, looking at these tissues or looking at these different components because they'll help a lot. But the big one is just, you know, the, the first picture you can see within the module is just this big 10,000 foot view between the left and right atrium and ventricles. And you can look at the arterial system and you can look at the venous system and trying to essentially take oxygen rich blood that takes O2 from the lungs and div- deliver it to the tissues that need it. And then once it's there, this negative pressure that's created within the heart pulls that carbon dioxide rich blood to the actually back to the heart to process through through the heart again and then trying to add in oxygen. And that's essentially it's just it's like a highway system on a permanent loop that is just delivering and bringing stuff back. Right. There's 
they're truckers driving on this highway, just going on this big circle over and over and over again, delivering goods, taking the goods that are the wasted product away, and then just constantly going through the cycle. So as we start to make our way down through it, you know, we can look a little bit more into the heart. And I definitely recommend looking at the work of Joel Jameson and his, I think it's, you know, in hindsight, probably one of the the more important books for performance and understanding cardiovascular function. And what you realize is he took a lot from guys like Charlie Francis, guys like Steve Plisk, um, even a guy like Tim Gabbett, like, um, or even looking at someone like, um, I think it's Paul Robbins, and he was big with athletes' performance in our exos. And you could see this heart anatomy, and Joel really did a great job of describing the adaptations at the heart. And we can look at it, the heart is basically governed by this pacemaker, this SA node. This SA node sends a sends a autonomic nervous system response to the right atrium to contract and relax based off the demand placed on it. So if we're exercising, we need more oxygen-rich blood to the peripheral so that autonomic tone or that autonomic nervous system sends a action potential down to that SA node and that SA node contracts the heart and that atrium. Uh, it's called the vagal nerve, right? So this vagal nerve is responding to what the need is of the body. And you'll notice too, other things as you start to look a little bit deeper into this is as we start to contract our muscular system and we start to deliver oxygen rich blood to our muscular system peripheral, we start to divert blood away from other tissues, right? So sometimes you hear people get nauseous when they exercise. Well, that could be a loss of blood or oxygen-rich blood to our actual gastrointestinal tract, and that could create a nauseating feeling, right? And could create this almost hypoxic environment in that area. And one of the things that we notice about hypoxic environments it becomes acidic. And acidity is potentially something that's problematic in a lot of tissues if we don't have a mechanism to remove that tissue. So if we're overly exercising, overly anaerobically exercising, we might see a downstream effect of just that general overall body acidity and that could lead to problems down the road. It's, it's all about maintaining gradients all through the body, right? Always, always, always at the microscopic level, the cellular level, all the way out to the macroscopic and looking at how do we maintain our skin gradient. So one of the things that we'll look at is, okay, now oxygen's being delivered to the peripheral through hemoglobin and oxygen-rich blood. That tissue is now diffusing in a negative pressure. So the gradient now needs oxygen within that system because now we've surpassed our anaerobic threshold. So we need oxygen-rich blood to help take the CO2 and this byproduct away from anaerobic work or glycolysis or the phosphocreatine cycle. And now we're looking at that is entering the tissues and functioning with the mitochondria to help process acetyl-CoA and all sorts of fun things in there, which we have a whole other concept to dive into later down the road. But oxygen is this really big, important step in that. And we can start to look at that. Okay, now I can get oxygen-rich blood to this peripheral in a very efficient manner. I can start to remove carbon dioxide-rich blood from that area to help this whole process stimulate and go. It's when we start to create these pressure gradients, either at a more proximal or the heart, meaning that we start to do overly anaerobic work and we start to create left ventricular wall hypertrophy and we decrease stroke volume, which is the amount of blood pumped out per beat. We start to get less oxygen diffused at the lungs. The alveoli don't 
transport oxygen into that hemoglobin as efficiently because there's more blood coming rapidly right behind it. So they're trying to load it up. And if you can make this image of your head of the truck stopped off and then you just have people scrambling to throw the goods onto the truck and then it's got to go get out of there because the next truck's behind it. You know, imagine that image in your mind, just a chaotic event when we're trying to load up these trucks to deliver oxygen to the peripheral. And then we get to the stop and the truck doesn't have any time because there's another another round of blood coming through or trucks coming through. So they can't really diffuse. So we don't create that adaptation in a local area of these capillaries. And what we find is greater capillary density, greater diffusion, greater mitochondrial function or more development of mitochondria. And there's a whole other concept we need to dive into at a later date on the difference between fusion and fission. But the reality is, as we get better, we need more, as we get older, as we want to perform higher, we need higher functioning mitochondria and we need oxygen and removal of waste products more efficiently. But the more anaerobic work we do, again, this is why it's so important that we understand this is really a powerful mediator for performance. The greater the left ventricular wall hypertrophy, the more activation of the SA node and that right atrium contracts, the less oxygen-rich blood gets delivered to the peripheral, pressure goes up, and then less diffusion in a local area, less capillaries, less mitochondria. And we start to accumulate things because that negative pressure doesn't change or that pressure doesn't change. And we're not pulling stuff out as much as we're pushing stuff in. Like if we push stuff in, we pull stuff out organically. If we're not pushing anything in, we can't pull anything out. So if we're accumulating a lot of waste products, a lot of acidity, a lot of hydrogen ions in a local muscular area, and we're trying to go through this conversion to removing carbons from the system, we're not going to be able to do that as efficiently as we want. And then all of a sudden, this thing leads to a downstream effect of creating dysfunction. And then it leads into immunosystem, immune system compromise. Then it leads into endocrine system compromise. And then it looks into the nervous system. If that SA node is just constantly going, and we're constantly in this fight or flight because we simply can't deliver enough oxygen-rich blood because we're inefficient, that's going to cause some sympathetic dominance, and that's going to cause some problems down the road. Again, these are all interchangeable. So as we start to look deeper into that heart, we can look at the chambers. We got atriums and ventricles, right? So atriums, when we look at the schematic of this, atriums are, are on top and ventricles are on bottom, right? And Bill Hartman, if you've ever heard of him, has a really eloquent way to describe this. It's a toilet bowl function. So this vortex that creates when we pump our heart. That blood is just being moved, and it's really efficient, right? The plumbers know this intuitively. When we want to flush something, we don't need a lot of mechanical energy. We can actually leverage physics here to create this vortice that creates this natural negative pressure to pull. That's how the diaphragm works. That's how we breathe air in and we move fluids around. But the same thing's happening on a fractal level in the heart. That left, that right atrium contracts. It starts to create this negative pressure within the left vent or the right ventricle that pulls pulls blood in, and then it starts to cycle through. Now we're starting to move blood through this thing really efficiently. That that toilet bowl like of analogy of as every time I flush, it pulls up on the pressure gradient inside that whatever that item is called in back of the toilet, and then it creates this negative loop. It's going down and to the right. This is a concept called precession, and blood moves through the atrium to the ventricle to the ventricle to or from the from the vet back to the atrium back into the ventricle to out to the lungs and then all of a sudden we start to create this 
this element of of blood that's kind of net neutral that can pick up oxygen and then go all the way through the cycle and drop off carbon dioxide really efficient to be exhaled and then we can move through and one of the things that i want you to think about too is if you have a body compositional goal most fat is metabolized and export expelled through carbon dioxide so if you want to help someone lose weight have them more efficient at removing carbon dioxide it's not this thing that we just burn and we have a bunch of stuff going through our digestive system and going through our digestive tract. It's a small part of it. Some fat globules kind of metabolize and they go through the system and it's getting absorbed through our GI tract and getting expelled there. 90% plus of our fat is metabolized and expelled through carbon dioxide. Remember one of the first laws of thermodynamics, energy is not created, destroyed. It's just transferred from one medium to the next. In this way, we are vaporizing energy and we're taking that excess energy in the form of carbons and delivering it through our, our venous system back into, the, back into the lungs to be expelled. And that expel, expelling of carbon dioxide is what really is fat metabolism. So again, coming back to it, if we want to look at helping someone perform at a higher level or increasing their body composition, become really good at controlling these gradients. We've discussed the SA node, but I want to come back to this, is the SA node, and this is going to be a big part of it, is really thinking about how do we manage the pressure in the system. So we'll talk about in the practical part, how do we test for this? And we can look at something as simple as blood pressure. And this is a big one I got from James Vall of the heartbeat has two phases, right? We have the contraction and the relaxation, right? And they're equally important. Can I contract and relax on a really, really systematic fashion? And the contraction of the heart is considered the systolic. That's where we start to create that pressure. It starts to contract and that pressure pushes out of the heart through the arterial system. So the systolic fort form is the part that's pushing blood through the chambers. The diastolic is when it relaxes and fills with blood. So it's this contraction, squeeze, push blood out. The diastolic is where it expands, pulls blood in. And that's where it's going from the atrium to the ventricle, atrium to the ventricle, out to the lungs. And it's just this, this diastolic and systolic form, formation that is when we look at how do we manage pressure and what do we look at? Do we have a fairly low systolic? You know, I'm thinking 110 to 120. And do we have a really low diastolic? And the people that are plus 80 on diastolic typically have poor pressure management. And this is when they start to look at the arterial system as some blockages. We can start to look at the cholesterol levels and looking at LDL, HDL. And we start to accumulate a lot of LDL. Or VLDL, we can start to see a lot of plaque formation. And that's when pressure starts to accumulate. But we see this a lot with athletes. We do. I don't think many people realize how many people are walking around with plaque or high blood high blood pressure. That's not good. But that increased pressure, what that does is decreases oxygen-rich blood out to the peripheral and then poor CO2 removal, and that is a problem. So if I want to get more work in a given period of time anaerobically and I can't recover because my heart rate recovery is poor and the SA node is overly sympathetic and my vagal tone is really high and I start to accumulate high systolic pressure to get blood out, and in turn, I get high diastolic pressure, and I can't relax to really let that oxygen start to transfuse into that hemoglobin, then we start to run into some serious, serious problems. <coughs> and then we start to look at this next big thing, of what are the lungs, right? And the lungs are, 
You know, if you can imagine them as these hot air balloons that respond to negative pressure from the diaphragm. So the diaphragm contracts, that pulls down on the lungs, that pulls air air in. And it's a whole other conversation in biomechanics. And looking at the diaphragm is a powerful tool to control respiration and control movement and control body position and posture and whole sorts of stuff. But as you're, what you're thinking about right now is diaphragmatic front function and my ability to create negative pressure from the diaphragm to pull down the lungs to create this open air environment allows for oxygen to transfuse into that hemoglobin to be delivered to the arterial system. This is all starting to make sense, hopefully, in terms of can I control the up and the down? Can I control the yin and the yang? Do I have balance with what I'm doing? I can look at HRV and say, okay, I have low HRV. That probably means I don't bring a lot of, I have a high blood pressure and I don't let a lot of oxygen enter through the lungs and I don't remove a lot of CO2. It's a downstream effect, a lot of dysfunction, a lot of diminished performance. So the theme really is looking at the cardiovascular system as the heart, the lungs, the arterial system, venous system, the capillary system, as this all inter interconnected thing that has some rate limiting steps and they probably led to some other things of what we repeatedly do we typically get better at so if all if i do is anaerobic if all i do is if i do minimal cardiovascular or long slow distance stuff i'm not really going to get to the point where i have good balance a good control or good positive relationship and one of the things i want to leave with you here is thinking about blood pressure and diastolic think about hrv and the balance of our systems it's that lack of balance. If I have a low HRV, that means I'm hitting very, very small bandwidths at a very low level, right? So if I have an HRV 20 to 30, right? For context, 50 plus, 60 plus is really good. It's like a VO2 max above 70, 80. We can start to look at this in the context of, I'm not hitting enough wide enough ranges. I want to hit some anaerobic work and I want to get my heart rate to a high level and I want to shorten up those beats per minute in between. I want to get to 180, 200 beats per minute in training. But on the other end is how well I recover is predicates on how much I can do. And that's predicated by how well my system is functioning. So I have poor, poor parasympathetic balance. I have poor relaxation phase or diastolic phase. I'm not going to get oxygen into my blood and I'm not going to be able to remove CO2 from that level. So as we dive into the practical here next, you know, I want you to think about these individual components and they're all important. The heart, the lungs arterial, capillary, venous system, the blood, even that, like, oh my goodness, you know, looking at Mark Houston stuff and looking at simple things like how do we produce nitric oxide at a arterial level makes a big difference from the vasodilation versus vasoconstriction. Like it's all going through some, like they're all pressurized, but they're all looking through. But if that pressurized system is gunked up by a very small, small tube, we're already hitting our wall and the nutritional component of this. But and I'll, I'll, I have it all on the notes in the bottom of the module between Mark Houston, Joel Jameson, even someone like Dr. Laval. I think that's really good. Going through some of the gray, Gray's Anatomy. I think Ben Greenfield's work is really good on Beyond Training. Some excellent articles in there. So all that stuff aside, like thinking about this from the context of, you know, you probably have a good idea in the cardiovascular system if you have some formal education. I think come back to we need to create a renaissance with performance training or body compositional training and why that is. And we have to think about this too. There's a reason why Charlie Francis had low days. There's probably a reason why bodybuilders get up and do 6 a.m. fasted cardio every day. 
it's because it's really good and it's really important. There's probably a reason in terms of why Stu McGill is coming back full circle and saying from a biomechanical level we should walk for 20 to 30 minutes every morning. That the transgressions on a biomechanical orthopedic level is probably the same on a physiological level. That we need to get balance back in the system. We need to get balance of away from our overly anaerobic, overly sympathetic-driven world. So, <coughs> I hope that makes sense. I hope that, <coughs> excuse me, I hope that helps in terms of context. I think this is, um, this, for me, this is fun. Uh, I really enjoy the cardiovascular system and understanding this one. I think this is a huge area. Um, there's a whole bunch of really great resources out there, too, diving into looking at heart rate and heart rate variability. Uh, even things like uh, heart rate recovery all are going to be really important for understanding the cardiovascular system. But with the goal of this, this is going to build on nutrition. So we're going to dive into some nutritional aspects of this and looking at different things like acidity and mitochondrial function and hopefully building out this narrative of this is a really important thing for all systems. And as always, make sure you check out the module. It definitely helps with the learning aspect. And new books coming. Make sure you're on, the, on that um, on all our social newsletter to kind of see that stuff coming ahead.